So Money Episode 204, The Skim Founders, Danielle Weisberg and Carly Zakin. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Monday So Money listeners, welcome to a brand new week. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Now, if you're someone who's always on the go looking for a way to consume the day's top news stories in the fastest way possible, you may already be a subscriber to this or you've heard about it, but you have to check out The Skim, one word. It's a free daily email newsletter that goes out each morning gives you all the important news across subject lines and party lines. It is simple and kind of a sassy roundup of the latest news stories with fresh editorial content catering mainly to a young female audience. It's fun to read, easy to understand, easy to explain to a friend after work at a happy hour, let's say, you know, going on in Greece or the latest in the electoral race. And I'm not only a fan, I guess you could also say I'm sort of a contributor to The Skim uh, in my partnership with Chase Slate, the brand partnered with The Skim to create some cool and interesting editorial content around financial fitness that I helped create. So I'm very proud to introduce today's guests, the co-founders of The Skim. They are friends, Danielle Weisberg and Carly Zakin. And you're going to love their story. You know, Carly and Danielle, they originally met in Rome. They were studying abroad. It was a rainy day and they were both studying in Rome. They were in college. Years later, they reconnected in New York as they were both producers for NBC News. How about that? And they not only became fast friends again, but they also became roommates and co-founded the skim from their living room couch. Both of them have now been included on Forbes 30 under 30 list This year, they were honored by Goldman Sachs Builders and Innovator Summit as one of the most 100 intriguing entrepreneurs in 2014. Danielle is a Tufts grad. She hails from Chicago, while Carly is a New Yorker who attended the University of Pennsylvania. And what brought them together and what really sparked the skim was and is their passion for news. And so these ladies are just a force to be reckoned with, and they're also really relatable. I loved talking with them. Several takeaways from our conversation, how they, as two novice co-founders of a very, very fast-growing company, are learning how to successfully run a business on the go. Who do you trust? How do you learn on the go? Interesting, how they accumulated credit card debt to start the company. Carly and Danielle, in fact, just emerged from debt believe it or not. And what's the future of the skim? The company recently received a huge round of funding, multi-millions of dollars. What's next? So please welcome today's fabulous guests, Danielle and Carly, co-founders of The Skim. Danielle Weisberg and Carly Zakin, founders of The Skim. This is a great day on So Money. We are fangirling like you wouldn't believe here in our studio. So thank you so much for joining us and gracing the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. This has been, by the way, I want to say happy birthday. This is the Skims' third anniversary, right? Yes, we just turned three um, over the weekend, so very exciting. 
And to hear your story about how you both met in Rome on a study abroad trip, years later reconnected at NBC, then soon after that left NBC to start this this venture. You were both frightened about the prospects. And in a relatively short period of time, you have just gone bonkers. I mean, just think, looking at the news, you've gotten millions of dollars in funding. Oprah calls you a friend. You have a one and a half million subscribers and growing. Your open rate, which is really nerdy here that I'm going to talk about this, but your email open rate, which is how many people actually open the daily email, is something like 40, 45%, which is beyond what industry average is. So to hear this story, and I just sort of fast forwarded three years, but it's, it's kind of like a fairy tale. What do you guys see it as? Is, are you pinching yourselves or obviously it's, it's a harder story from your perspective, but, um, tell us how you feel. What, how, what are you going through right now? Do you pinch yourselves every day? Uh, I think we see it as a work in progress. Um, very much so. You know, every day is uh, a new day, new challenges, um, differing amounts of sleep. Uh, so I think it's hard for us to just take a step back and really reflect over um, the wild ride that has been the past three years because we're still so in the weeds day to day. Yeah, this is Carly now. I think, you know, we um, we definitely take time to celebrate and have like the pinch ourselves moment. Um, you know, I think it's, it's very, very, very surreal. Um, and that never, ever, that feeling doesn't ever get old. Um, but we also know like we're building a business and it's not a success yet. And we just kind of keep focusing on building it. How are you learning how to build the business? The two of you didn't come from necessarily like business backgrounds, startup backgrounds. You were journalists. You were in the news world. And your passion really led you to this venture. How now do you find yourselves learning and educating and troubleshooting all the business aspects of running a business? I mean, how do you know? What what instincts led you to get to the point where you have one and a half million subscribers? That's phenomenal. Thank you. Um, this is Carly. You know, I think for us, we, um, we ask a lot of questions. We were really good and really annoying at asking a lot of questions. Um, I think as journalists, you know, we, I think we, we honed, honed a skill, um, of, of being able to tell a story. And I think if we were to tell our own story is that we know what we know and we know what we don't know. And running a business, there's so much that we didn't know three years ago that we still don't know. And we, I think our strongest asset as founders, honestly, is that we raise our hand whenever we don't know somebody, no, know some, something, and then mm-hmm. find out who that person is that can help us know it. It's also probably surrounding yourself with people you can trust. How do you know that you're around people that have the good ideas and are interested in seeing you grow the right way? Have you developed an instinct for that? That's a great question. I, I think um, we, I think we've always had that instinct. I think we're very um, private people personally. That's always been how we are. And I think even more so since starting a company, um, you know, I think it was pretty easy to tell in the beginning because we didn't have anything but an idea. Um, so the people that were willing to lend us time then, um, I think in our eyes, you know, went a long way. Um, same with our first investors who were willing to believe in us when it was just the two of us, our laptops and a couch. Um, so I think, you know, we remember who was there in the beginning, um, and who really, you know, dug in and and helped us, um, to get off the ground. And that's something that has gone a long way with us. Where were you when you both decided we're going to do this once and for all, and you didn't look back? Was there a moment in time? I'm sure you contemplated this for a while, but there had to have been that moment 
where you did the high five and you're like, we're out. Mic drop from NBC. <laughs> we're starting this. We're starting the scam. You know, it, it wasn't. It wasn't really a moment, believe it or not. I think it was so hard for us actually to pull the trigger because we loved NBC and we loved our old jobs and we loved our coworkers and um, we loved what we did. And that's that's not why we left. You know, I think there were. It was building for us, and I think honestly, just continually looking at the calendar and and seeing, well, you know, it's the summer. If we're going to try this, we should do it now because if it doesn't work, we'll get we'll get hired for the election, which was this was in 2012. Um, so it was sort of um, we were being strategic from that standpoint of, of thinking about you know a fallback plan. But um, there really wasn't you know one kind of lightning bolt moment. I would say. Mm-hmm. At age describes your your approach to targeting millennials, particularly millennial women as quote unquote, killing it. And yeah. And I have to say as a subscriber, as a, I'm on the cusp of Gen X, Gen Y, but I like to consider myself a millennial because it keeps me cool and in the trenches. I love the style, the tone, the structure of the skim. How did you, how do you have your pulse on this? How do you research how to properly address this target audience so well? Um, I think the key is that we don't research. Um, we did research about them from, you know, an economic perspective and, and uh, um, research in order to determine if this was the demographic that we should focus on because we saw that how much money they were influencing and how badly advertisers wanted to reach them. So that kind of confirmed um, you know, our thought that there should be a new source that's geared towards this audience um, because they're certainly not connecting with morning television in the same way, nor are they, you know, waking up and um, jumping out of bed to go to CNN.com, for instance. Um, so we wanted to create a new source that fit into their routines. Um, but we did that because we saw firsthand um, that our friends who are smart and educated and went to great schools and have great jobs would ask us pretty basic questions about what's going on in the world. So when we think about talking to this demographic, you know, we don't think about it as necessarily talking to, um, you know, an average female millennial out there who likes to hear X, Y, and Z. We just think about it as having a conversation with our friends. You mentioned they're not going to CNN.com. We're pretty sure people aren't watching TV as much these days. Is the email newsletter the future? Or in some ways, people might say it was the past because you've got you've had Daily Candy in the past. And for men, um, it's, uh, you know, uh, there's a – I forget the name of the – the Yes. Um, Thrillist. So interesting that you took sort of an older model and refreshed it. And do you think this is going to be the sustainable model? You know, I think for us, we are a little bit of old meets new and, and we like being that. I think, you know, we were told when we launched that email was dead and people would email that to tell us that. So uh, <laughs> we found that pretty ironic and funny. I think, um, I, I hate to say it's the wave of the future. I think it's really just email is a, an incredibly strong marketing tool when it is done correctly. Um, and, you know, when you know the audience that you want to reach, it's, it's the best way to reach people. Um so we feel really confident and grateful that that's you know we chose to launch with email, but you know of course there's obviously strengths in other platforms. So what's next? You're celebrating three years. You just late last year you received a big uh, round of funding. Advertisers are really interested in working with you, partnering with you. What is what is what are you working on in 2015 for the skim? 
Yeah, our focus for 2015 is to continue to grow um, our subscriber base. We have a value on um, growing, you know, not only quickly, but also with an engaged user base that really enjoys the product um, and would tell their friends to sign up. So that's something that's very important to us. We've also doubled down on resources for our Skin Ambassador program. Um, so now it's over 6,000 brand reps throughout the country. They're kind of our grassroots um, marketing machine, and they have contributed to over 10% of our user growth. So we're always thinking about ways to innovate and make that a program um, that really returns value to them. What has been the most, and each of you can answer this, what has been the most exciting out-of-body experience, perhaps, that you've had since launching this site? Maybe for me, it may have been like when Oprah you know, <laughs> said that you guys were great and wants to uh, support you. That certainly was a moment. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, there's not, I don't think there's one singular moment. I think that's been, you know, a series of a few. I think having, um, we've been doing Scam Your Candidate and being able to interview, um, you know, presidential candidates um, has been just very surreal for us. Um, I think you know, having the first lady guest skim and knowing that she guess knowing that she reads the product every day, um, as well is, is right up there with Oprah. Um, and you know, I think it also seeing our ambassador program, you know, we just had our birthday, um, last week with, you know, all of our ambassadors and just literally looking around the room and seeing, you know, hundreds of people who are just so, um, devoted to the mission of the skim of making it easier to be smarter is just so surreal. And, and I think that just that never gets old. Well, another reason I wanted to have you on the show, in addition to being these amazing, uh, ingenious female entrepreneurs with this great product that I subscribe to, you're also millennials living in New York City, uh, had the chutzpah to start a business in your 20s. I want to now pick your brains about money because so many of my audience also, I think, uh, is in your psychographic and in your demographic. If you each had to distill your financial philosophy in a sentence or two, what is it? Um, I think, unfortunately, my financial philosophy has been really reactive. Um, I think it's been, you know, um, trying to pay off credit cards, um, trying to save enough so that we could quit our jobs, um, trying to then pay off credit cards again, because you rack up money when you're not, or you rack up credit card debt when you're not getting a salary. Um, and that was certainly the case for us in, in the first year of our business. Um, so I think it's been uh, reacting to a lot of different financial situations and trying my best to get a handle on them. Um, and I think one of the things we're both trying to do right now is switch our financial philosophy to be proactive and start really thinking about, okay, where do we want to be um, 10, 20, 30 years from now? And how do we start working towards that goal? Yeah. And, and, and this is Carly. I would say, you know, my philosophy is that I, I need a philosophy. Um, I think <laughs> we, um, you know, haven't had the luxury to, um, to, to really get one yet. I think we're, you know, we have been really reactive, you know, um, in the last 10 years, I would say, and, um, you know, specifically in the last three years of starting the skim. So, um, you know, trying to figure out how, how to have one that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You're both in New York city. How has that impacted your, um, 
your financial goals. I mean, it's hard enough starting a business anywhere. Add to that the stress and the the volatility of being in New York City, the financial stress. How has that been a resource, but also perhaps difficult for you too? Uh, I think... um so I grew up in Chicago um, and Carly grew up in New York. Um, so I think as someone that moved to New York, I'm always struck by the energy that is here at all times of the day. Um, I grew up in a big city. I love I love the energy that comes off of, um, you know, being surrounded by people all the time and being able to walk out your door and hail a cab. Um, but I think in New York, it's a whole other level. Um, and I think that's really important when you're starting a company. Um, it's nice to know that even if you're up until, you know, four in the morning working on someone, there's someone up, uh, you know, probably across the street that's working, right. or maybe working, um, but it's definitely up. Um, and I think, you know, even at odd times in the day or night, you can walk out the street and, and see people. So I think it's, it's always a hustle. Um, and I think that's something that we definitely fed off of when we first started. I think that's also something that, um, pushes you and pushes you and pushes you. And sometimes you just need a break. Yes. Yes. Well said. Well, take us back to when you were both very young, growing up in your respective towns, in your families, how was money introduced to you? And if there was a particular money memory that you each had that now as young adults, you feel as though it was a very defining moment. What was it and what did you learn? Um, for me, and I think um, speaking for both of us, you know, I think we were both entrepreneurial um, without realizing we were entrepreneurial, meaning that we both had internships at early ages. Um, you know, in, in my family, I always had a job, whether it was an internship or whether it was scooping ice cream um, or, you know, waitressing um, during the summers. And that was something um, that I really liked was having my own money um, and not having to depend on my parents to go buy something if I really wanted it. Now, I'll, I'll caveat that by saying that my parents were, you know, paying for everything else. So it was really just pure disposable um, income. But um, I think I really like that feeling. And that's something that I carried on with me. I think a, a money memory, I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, I used to do um, lemonade stands. And I would only do them on big weekends. So the air and water show in Chicago is like one of the biggest tourist weekends. And I would make like $300 in a day. Whoa. Um, and it was something my little sister is like nine years younger than me and she would do it. And she actually made enough to buy herself a MacBook um, over the weekend. So you can see how prices have inflated <laughs> since I was doing it. Um, but, uh, that's just a, you know, a great memory. I had fun doing it and I really liked selling things to people. And what a nice legacy lesson you left for your younger sister as you went off to college and she was running her own lemonade stand. Uh, how about you, Carly? Yeah, you know, for me, um, you know, I think, as Danielle said, I think we both grew up entrepreneurial without realizing it. Um, you know, my mom started a business um, literally from from her bed, like from, from working from home. And, you know, I started from my couch. So I guess I inherited that. But, um, you know, I think, you know, one of the things my mom taught me really young, she, you know, I, I would get an allowance and she would say, and it was on a 
big allowance. And she would say, you know, just put a dollar away every day and just, you know, it adds up. And so literally from like middle school, I always just put, you know, a dollar aside and, um, you know, at, at the end of the month, like that, that added up to $28. And I was like, Oh wow. Like that was so, that was so great. Um, no, I think where I need to get my, um, financial philosophy, uh, um, you know, down is that I would then spend that I didn't save it. Um, but I think that, um, it was like the first time I remember really understanding, you know, this is how I can save. And, you know, since I was, I've worked since I was 14, I started babysitting and then I tutored all of high school and all of college. Um, and so, you know, anything that I, you know, ever wanted to buy myself that I knew my parents uh, weren't in support of, you know, had to come from, from myself. Um, and I think, you know, I, I really value that my parents taught me that, you know, I had to work at a young age. I think there's actually a study. I have to find it that, that concludes that the earlier you begin to earn your own money, the more likely you will not only be financially independent as a young adult, but you'll actually be the entrepreneur among the, your friends. You know, the entrepreneurs, if you look back at their, uh, their childhood, they were, they were finding ways to make money at a very young age. So I think you're both absolutely right that while you may not have been creating businesses, so to speak, that you really enjoyed being financially independent. And there's no better ticket than running your own show when you're an adult, you know, having your own business. So, so yeah, the dots have been, have connected. Yeah, I think so. So you're young and to, to ask you now for a financial failure and a financial success, you might find that you have limited, <laughs> limited anecdotes. But if there was a financial failure that you experienced, and it doesn't have to be a, a calamity, but you know, for a lot of millennials, it could be that I, you know, I took on too many student loans or I, I racked up a lot of credit card debt or, um, I'm repairing my credit or, um, anything that you might want to share as so many of our listeners here are either going through some failure, some struggles or I don't know, it's just nice to, to hear that you're not alone <laughs> in your, in your struggles. What would, what would be one example? We both, um, learned the hardships of building, racking up credit card debt, um, both with reason, good reason, sometimes without good reason. Um, you know, I would say the good reason is that we took we really took a risk in, in starting the scam. We had we only we only had two months of savings when we started, and we truly lived on our credit cards for a year. And we believed in what we were doing so much. We were like, well, "We'll just figure out how to pay for it." And not saying that was the smartest way to, to think about your financial uh, well being, but um, it was a risk we took and felt comfortable taking, being twenty six and not having kids or any you know any real responsibility yet. Um, I think just to put it in perspective, we just both came out of that credit card debt in the last two months. And that's, that's three years later. Um, so I think that in a way is, is the credit card debt that we, we took on with, um, with purpose. I think the other times that we both have taken on credit card debt is, um, being really naive and, and immature, honestly. Um, and thinking, you know, I remember one year I was like, I just really want to buy everyone in my family really nice Christmas presents. And it took me like two years to pay off all the credit card debt because, you know, the interest in it and everything like that. And it was just one of the stupidest things I've ever done. Um, so I think, you know, we've learned the good and the bad. And I think still trying to train ourselves, um, I would say, you know, just trying to have more restraint and, and really living off of a budget. Were you both living together as roommates? We were. Yeah. So in some ways that's good because you're both in the same financial boat. There isn't one friend that's like, let's go out and party. And the other one's like, I'm going to eat tuna fish out of a can tonight. Sorry. 
Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think the biggest financial mistakes we made definitely came, you know, to credit cards, um, what are, are around credit card decisions and habits. Um, and I think that's something that a, a lot of it was, you know, as Carly said, um, it was with good reason. We didn't have another viable option to be able to quit our jobs and start something from our couch unless we racked up a certain amount of debt. Um, I think, though, you know, just in my understanding of credit cards is um, before I started the scam, you know, when I graduated college and when I was first opening my credit card, I really didn't understand um, interest in a real way um, and why you need to pay things off um, and how that definitely racks up. Um, I think I'm someone that always liked to see a certain amount of cash in my bank account. So I would kind of ignore um, the overall balance of my credit card bill um, as long as I was making the minimum payments and, you know, really wasn't thinking about the interest that I was racking up. Yeah, it doesn't uh, it doesn't hit you until you have that balance that's carrying over and over and over. Um, but I, I do think it's it was helpful that you were both paired together under one roof. Um, cause I think in your, in your twenties, especially as you're grappling with financial obligations, like having friends that aren't necessarily sympathetic to that, or they're living off of their parents' credit card, <laughs> as it may be, it can be even more challenging to get your own financial, uh, ducks in a row. So, um, it sounds like you have each were each other's support system. What yeah, would you, absolutely. what would you say is a habit now that each of you has as you're trying to, you know, as you say, be proactive about your finances as opposed to reactive. What's one habit that you're trying to incorporate into your financial life that you're hoping will support you along that goal? Um, we have the same habit, which Carly introduced me to, which is Digit. <gasps> I just had the co-founder on the site the other, uh, on the show, I should say, the other day. We love Digit. Um, I think for us, anything that takes... Uh, the kind of act of thinking about what we're saving and just kind of analyzes what we should be saving and takes it out for us um, is amazing. It's a time saver. And I love how they communicate with us. I love the text message alerts. Um, it's just enough information, but not too much. The company has actually saved Americans over $20 million in the short time frame that it's been around. So, and like you, um, Ethan Block is, I think he's a millennial. Um, so he's definitely another person that's on the pulse of what this generation wants and needs when it comes to consuming and, and saving. And um, so my hat's off to all of you. All right. Ready for some so money fill in the blanks? Yeah. Okay. This is kind of cheesy, but it's also, you can make it as fun as you want. I start off a sentence, you finish it. And don't feel like you each have to answer or finish the sentence. If one of you has a uh, an impulse reaction, just blurt it out. If I won the if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million dollars, the first thing I would do is uh, pay back my parents for my education. And who's this? Uh, Who was that? Was that like Danielle? That was Carly. Oh, that was Carly. Uh, that was Carly. Mine would be um, help my parents pay for my sister's education. She's in college right now. Oh, that's nice. 
And there's a lot of money left over, hopefully, from that, <laughs> from that lottery winning. The one thing that makes my life easier or better that I spend money on, the one thing that you purchase or buy or pay for that makes your life easier or better is? I was going to say shoes, but that's not the right answer. <laughs> that might be the answer to the next one, which is your biggest splurge. Um, but something that you spend on that helps make you either productive, life easier, better, quality of life? Um, getting my nails done is <laughs> probably not the right answer to that, but it's, it's a pretty, um, at least in New York, it's, it's a pretty cheap spend for like 30 minutes of just being able to sit down and relax. There is um, that I, aspect. Yeah. I take a taxi every day to, to work. And the reason I do that is because then I can do work calls. So I actually find that it gives me like an extra 20 minutes to be productive for work because I just am not good walking and talking on the phone. And um, I also like want to be able to do that on the subway. So for me, like spending that, you know, $7 cab ride in the morning um, is, is worth it to be able to just get a squeeze in a little bit of extra time of work to be more productive. I tell myself that all the time too. I have a friend who's very much a public transportation guy and he's always like sticking his nose up at me when I take the cabs because he's like, furniture, that's not so money. And I'm like, but I can talk on the phone. I can be accessible. I get work done. Um, so I totally relate to that. And it's nice to hear someone else justifying it for that reason. Try. <laughs> <laughs> my gig, my biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on and I wouldn't have it any other way is? Um, I really like, <laughs> I, I love, uh, this is Carly, um, foot reflexology. I find it super relaxing and I spend, um, I definitely spend money on it a week, but it, I'm really happy doing it. Um, it's Danielle, uh, probably cabs. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, from what we both said, I think I, I justify it a lot. Um, but I think that's probably because I'm not organizing my schedule in a way that it would make it possible to get to work and do calls there. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a big one. Uber or cabs? Um, both. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I wish I had known about money growing up or I had learned about money growing up is... Credit card interest. <laughs> um, I think how to save because I think my parents did it and didn't explain what they were doing to me um, or what they were doing for me. Um, so I think that was a process that was kind of just like, oh, you know, we'll handle it. And uh, I think it probably would have um, been helpful to understand the different ways that you can save at an earlier age. Have both of you checked your credit scores recently? Not no. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you should. And um, as you know, I contributed to the skim on behalf of Chase Slate about credit health. And one of the things that millennials, actually, they're the worst demographic at this. They have 40% of millennials, or maybe even more, have not checked their credit score recently. Um, so my advice to everybody listening to the show, check your credit score, peel back the Band-Aid, learn what it is. It might actually be a good score. And it's, uh, it's worth just finding out. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I donate to um, 
I donate to a few places. So I donate one to my alma mater. Um, I went to UPenn. Um, I donate to Goodwill all the time. And um, I also am um, preparing to donate um, to a few different organizations um, related to diseases that have affected my family. That's excellent. Um, mine is probably the same thing. I, I donate to places where I have an emotional connection, whether it's um, a disease that's affected my family or whether it's a place I went to school or a family member went to school. And last but not least, ladies, I'm so money because, Carly, I'll start with you. Uh, I'm so money because I work at the skim. <laughs> you founded the skim. You don't just work there. You co-founded yeah, the skim. I'm so money because I co-founded the skim. Danielle? Uh, I'm so money because I quit my job to start a company. And we're so glad you did. Thank you so much, ladies. Again, big day for us. It's so money here. We're huge fans of the skim. Everybody subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. It is a fabulous free daily digest of the news you need to know in language that is fun. And uh, you'll just want to share it with your friends. And I, I have to say, I'm learning like new ways to say things. I feel very cool when I read the skim. It keeps me young. So for all that and more, ladies, thank you and congratulations on the third year of The Skim. Wishing you many, many more years. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Danielle Weisberg and Carly Zakin, please subscribe to The Skim. You can also visit their website, theskim.com. That's two M's. Follow them on Twitter at DM Weisberg, CB Zakin, and of course, The Skim. And I want to hear from you. Submit your question, please, about money or work or life or starting a business at somoneypodcast.com. Really, really good chance that I will answer it this weekend. And as a reminder, if you'd like the chance to win a free 15-minute money session with me, hop on iTunes and leave a review for this show. Every Saturday, I select one new reviewer to get a 15-minute money session with me. And I've been doing this for now several months. It's been really fun. Hope it's been fun for you. And so if this interests you, go on iTunes, leave a review, and hopefully we will connect. Thanks again to my lovely guests, Danielle Weisberg and Carly Zakin of The Skim. Thanks to you for joining me. Hope your Monday's off to a great start or winding down well. I'm just happy to have you here. Hope to see you back here tomorrow. In the meantime, hope your day is so money. Money.